And then I can imagine that, you know, if, um, if, if the, the, the singing of the praises of God and the, this, this chanting of the Psalms and whatnot has this uh, spiritual effect, not just on uh, against the, the demons, but then also in properly ordering our own souls and bodies and uh, disposing us towards virtue, that when you have the whole mass of congregation, you know, all joining in and singing, yeah. Uh, what kind of spiritual benefits that has when all of their prayers and chanting are put together, you know. That's right, yeah. That would have uh, a lot more. Yeah, more it has, it, yeah, it does. It has a, a tremendous unifying effect in relationship to the people, and I think that that's one of the things that's important, especially because today people are so fractured given our culture, but even within the church there's so much fracturing, whereas the music when it's done properly, especially the chant, when the people are able to chant together and they all do it together, there's a unification that people get a sense of, which I think is important. Yeah, and just so anybody listening isn't confused, of course, you know, we're not talking about everybody singing the propers of the propers, mass, but the right. things which are proper to the congregation, such as the, the ordinary and uh, right. the hymns and, uh, like you said, in procession, you know, the litany of the saints and whatnot, things like that. Right. The chants which are proper to the congregation. So. Right. Um, so then the, the fourth question about the efficacy of, of this chanting, you know, St. Augustine says that um, those who sing well pray twice. Right. And, of course, uh, I was asked that, uh, you know, because I, I made a, a video on what is prayer, you know, explaining... Thomas Aquinas, you know, okay, well, you know, he says, you know, in order for prayer to be prayer, it needs to come from charity, humility, you need faith, uh, piety, perseverance, all these things, right. and a certain amount of attention, and so I was asked, well, everything being equal, uh, do you gain double the merit if you sing a prayer rather than recite it? <laughs> and of course, I'm no theologian, so uh, what's a theological explanation of that? Um, okay, yeah, uh, first let's presume all other things are being equal, obviously. Right. So, we're here, we're presuming that you're saying with the same devotion, the same attention, sure. and all that that you normally would. Um, you know, it's kind of funny because the theologian, throughout history, as you know, that uh, line from St. Augustine that he who sings well prays twice, that that has um, been so often repeated, I don't know if anybody's ever really given an analysis about you know what? How much? Um, uh, how much does it really add? To be honest with you, my own my own thoughts on the on the on it is it really depends on a few things. So obviously, the efficacy of our prayer is based upon partly the interior dispositions, but then there's the exterior, the execution of it, and because and this is something I kind of go into in my article on the merit of a mass that the externals actually have a direct contribution to the merit that the prayer can actually have. And so if we surround our prayer with the right kinds of merit, that in this case it was the Mass, but we can also say this with chant. So the chant, depending on the solemnity of the chants, because as you know there's different solemnities of the chant, right. there's also, because um, uh, some chants are more solemn than others, there's also some are more ornate than others, etc. So I think some of the qualities can change how effic efficacious it is. 
I think that in St. Augustine's mind, though, what he was really trying to do is not just, it's not just in the external singing, although I think that plays a role. So, so different chants have different degrees by which they're going to merit. Ultimately, we don't know. God would have to, you know, reveal it to us in some way or show it to us. But I think what St. Augustine was really showing is, is that um, this external, by, by the person seeing this external solemnity, that, um, and they, they're intending to do so, that the efficacy of their prayer is, um, you know, in a certain sense, it's doubled because of the fact that it's not just the prayer now. Now it's this solemnity to add, so there's this additional right. thing. And so I think that's kind of the mind behind it. Um, and so, I mean, it's obviously not an exact thing that, oh, I said one Hail Mary, so now it's, it's worth two Hail Marys. It's not quite <laughs> like that. Right. But I think it is, but I just, I do think it obviously adds significantly to the efficacy of the prayer that a person says. In this particular case, that like the Mass and the various chants. Sure, okay. That, 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 uh, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, I, I wasn't quite sure uh, how to... How to answer that myself? I thought, man, I, I think it just kind of depends on a, on a whole bunch of circumstances, and you know, and as friends, I mean, you know, in, in one circumstance, you might gain more merit by singing it, but it, you know, might be the wrong time and place. In right, so, exactly. Uh, so, you know, but that that makes sense too. Joining the internal to the external um, in a more solemn form, then you know. Right, which I think singing helps us to do, right? I mean, singing does sure. help us to to uh, more voluntarily and more easily enter into the external um, uh, execution of the prayer. So I think that's one of its real benefits. And it makes it more delightful, I think, ultimately, mm -hmm. too. Yeah. yeah, I can see how, you know, if somebody, somebody may not be um, drawn and interested to, pr to, to prayer, but, but when... You offer, you know, a, a beautiful form of music. Just like somebody may not want to go to mass, but when when those uh, the external the, the externals are beautiful, it gives a little bit more of an incentive. It draws them into to the prayer, and, and the, I think the chant can do that too. Right, I agree. Yeah. Um, so the 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 final question um, seems a little bit uh, off topic, but. Um, the um, among the religious orders, those who are most devoted to um, the celebrating the fullness of the liturgy and the singing and composition and transcribing of the chant are the Benedictines. And right. the Benedictines are also the ones who have given us uh, this great sacramental medal, the Saint Benedict Medal. Um, as an actress, what can you tell us about uh, the? Um, the power and influence and protection this metal can provide for us? Um, there's different levels to it. The first is, is um, just to buy the reason why it's actually efficacious is because of the blessing that the church gives to it is actually there's an exorcism and a blessing that's included in it and you actually are asking God through this blessing to cause the demons to flee. So it's, just, it's as a sacramental, the blessing um, is specifically ordered towards that. In theology, we say you uh, prayer begets what it signifies, which basically means what you ask for is what you're going to get. So if you have this blessed in the old rite, which is a, it's so long, a lot of priests don't like to do it because it takes it takes close to 10 minutes to bless one, right. which is why I try to do a lot of them at once. But, <laughs> uh, but, they, but uh, that blessing, what you're going to ask is what you're going to get for. And so it has that, that prayer... When, you're, you, when you have the sacramental, 
the demon, when he sees that, knows the full context of the prayer that's said on that, and he knows it, and so that itself has, a, has, has an efficacy. And then, of course, it contains characters and letters, etc., that um, are also refer uh, a reference to a desire and a, a prayer, basically, to drive the demons out. So that is part of the, that's why it's efficacious. Okay, so there's that, but in context of, um, in our work, we very often tell people to, um, you know, if you're going to buy a house or bless a house, put uh, Benedict medals in the four corners or put them over the, the um, doors. We found that to be efficacious to keep the demons kind of out of people's houses, especially if they've had problems in the house in the past. Um, I suppose you could say if you have teenagers, you'd probably want even more. <laughs> but, uh, but I think that... Uh, um, but then we also will tell people to put it in, like if you own um, a, a sizable piece of land, put the Benedict medals in the four corners of the property, and it creates kind of like this invisible fence, so to speak. Um, and uh, the, um, but we also use them in um, session during sessions. So um, my my goal eventually is to get a chair made of Benedict, the whole chair just made. Of Benedict medals, and so that forcing the person or the demon to sit on the chair, you know, would drive him nuts. But, um, eventually, at some point, I'll get around to doing that. It's actually not that difficult of a thing to do, but um, it's just a matter of time. But then I, the other thing is we have um, Benedictine crosses where the, you have the cross, but then you have a Benedictine medal that's in the middle, and that's the primary cross. So you'll see exorcists will you'll see pictures of exorcists holding a cross up. We use we use specifically a, um, a Benedictine cross for that very reason because we found it's actually more efficacious. And then when you put the cross on them, where the where a cross is on them, you can put it like on their forehead so that the not only is the cross but that the Benedictine medal is also there. So we have found that it's um, it's um, among the sacramentals. It's one of, it's one of the most efficacious. Um, you know, wh what, how sensitive a particular demon is to it depends on his sin and the dynamics of the case. So, um, but if we find out that he's sensitive to it, um, we will basically make him, um, you know, reverence it and, and things of that sort. Another thing that we, you would do too is with people who are possessed, the possession is always in a particular part of the body. And so what we would do is, is we, if it's, um, um, you know, if it's in a part of the body that's like underneath a garment, we would tell, we would best the Benedict medals and have them pin that to that part of the garment so that it's laying up against the part that the person that is possessed. And so um, it depends. Sometimes people say, well, I could do it for a couple of hours, but then I just couldn't do it anymore because the, the demon's, you know, reacting to this thing being there. And, and if he has to keep looking at it for long periods of time, eventually it's going to weaken him. So that's another thing that we'll very often do with them. So there, it's a very efficacious uh, um, uh, sacramental. I usually rec I really do recommend people always have one on them at all times. Sometimes you can even get rosaries made of them. Yeah, I've seen that where the, every single bead on there is the St. Benedict medal. Yeah, those are awesome. I like those. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for all my questions here. So... Um, what, what, if people want to, um, donate to your order, what, what is your order called and, and where can they go for that? It's called the Society of the Most Sorrowful Mother. Um, you can just go to our website, which is delorens.org, which is D-O-L-O-R-A-N-S.org. And, um, we have a variety of different ways in which they can donate right now. Our main thing that we're trying to raise money for is we're um, raising money for a chapel. We think we might have secured 
most of the donations, but at this point, um, the main thing that we are now trying to raise money for is decorum on the inside so that we can have, um, even though the structure and everything is classical style, it's um, um, neo-Gothic basically is the style because we can't do full Gothic because we, we don't have that kind of money. But uh, yeah. but it's going to be it's going to be you know high vaulted ceiling and the whole bit. But it's um, but now at this point we're just um, uh, any money further money that we raise will go towards beautification of the interior of the chapel. So if people would like to donate, we would be uh, very appreciative. Okay, and then you also have a separate website of uh, uh, material. Is that, is that census um, traditionis so, or that, that's right, census traditionis, which is which is my uh, my own website, which has um, all of my conferences in audio format. The video formats are on YouTube, uh, which is in Census Fidelium, as you know. Um, there are some also other videos that I've done in other locations that aren't on Census uh, Fidelium, which are available there. Um, and then there's also some written materials as well. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, happy belated Feast of St. Thomas Aquinas, by the way. Yes, which was yesterday. Uh, yes. As we uh, uh, close here, would you mind giving us a blessing? Sure. Benedictio de omnipotentis, patris et fili, et spiritus supervos, et mani et semper. Amen. Thank you very much, Father. You're welcome. We were listening to the Gregorian chant YouTube with Father Chad Ripperger, Ripperger, interviewed by one of the owners of the YouTube channel the Gregorian chant. Thank you for listening. To apologetics, discussions, interviews, debates, the hosts are Catholic, but also welcome charitable conversations with Orthodox, Protestants, and non-Christians. And welcome to the Reason of Theology show, everyone. I'm your host, Michael Lofton, on Thursday evening, joined by Eric Ivara, William Albrecht, my co-host, and also Father Vince Lampert. How are you, Father? It's good to have you on the show. I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, the, the, the pleasure is all here. Father is an exorcist in the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. And, uh, in fact, I remember seeing Father a few years back on a show called Paranormal Witness. It was very, very interesting. That was my first time uh, seeing uh, Father. And I actually uh, looked into some more of your material on YouTube afterwards and found it very, very helpful when it comes to the area of exorcism, which is our topic today. We're going to be discussing the ministry of exorcism. So let's maybe just start out talking about some of the basics. Father, um, when did you, or how did you become a priest, and how did you become an exorcist? So I was ordained a priest in the Archdiocese of Indianapolis on June the 1st of 1991. So I've been a priest now for 29 years, and back in 2005, the Archbishop of Indianapolis appointed me to be the exorcist. The bishop is the exorcist in every Catholic diocese, and then the church says that he may appoint one or more of his priests to exercise this ministry. I tell people I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. 
<laughs> so it wasn't voluntary. It was more of the, he just told you, hey, you're, you're the guy. He reminded me that when priests are ordained, they uh, promise obedience to their bishop and his successors. Father, I know that, you know, as you just mentioned here, the bishop is kind of the ordinary exorcist, if you will, of the diocese, and, and uh, he appoints priests uh, generally as, a, as uh, to be exorcists. But why is it that that is the case? Why don't we actually see um, bishops perhaps um, taking on exorcisms, exorcisms more? Why is it that they delegate that to uh, priests commonly now? I think it's because they want priests to get specialized training so that... Uh, because it can be very consuming. I now currently get about 1,800 uh, calls or emails a year from wow. people all over the United States and all over the world. So it can be very time-consuming. So I think bishops like to delegate the ministry and then send priests off for specialized training so that they can uh, be more adept on how to deal with people who believe they're up against the demonic. So what kind of training did, did you have? Did you have to go to Rome? Uh, you don't have to. I did go to Rome. I was planning to be on sabbatical in Rome in the early part of 2006. And the bishop told me while I was there, he wanted me to uh, study exorcism as well. So when I was in Rome, I was able to make contact with the Franciscan priest over there. who uh, He was trained by... Uh, Father Candido Amentini, who trained Father Gabriel Amor. Father Amentini was a passionist priest who did exorcisms in Rome at the Holy Stairs near the Basilica of St. John Lateran. So at the time, he had been an exorcist for 25 years. And then he permitted me to uh, participate in 40 exorcisms that he did while I was there. And then I was able to learn firsthand the church's ministry to those who were up against the forces of evil. The church says the best way to become an exorcist is to mentor under a trained exorcist. Because it's easy to, to read the books to get the right and to learn about the ins and outs of the ministry. But actually mentoring with a seasoned exorcist is the best way to do it. Father, historically, it seems that the case was if they were trying to determine position, they they had a few things in the, the Roman ritual, uh, to my recollection, like, you know, if the person speaks in a language that they couldn't possibly know or they have hidden knowledge, things like that. But uh, if they're trying to determine if it's still in inconclusive and they're trying to determine if somebody is demonically possessed, they would go ahead and perform a major exorcism, not even knowing for sure if they were possessed, but just to see if the demon, if they are possessed, if the demon would reveal itself. Whereas now it seems like the approach is the exact opposite. Um, you, you have to actually know that they're possessed before you perform an exorcism. Do you think that this change in approach um, has been for the better or worse? I think the change has been for the good because the uh, exorcist needs to have moral certitude to believe beyond a doubt that the person in front of him is truly dealing with the demonic. Because if it's not the demonic, I've always believed that the church could do greater harm if it labels someone as being possessed and that label prevents the person from getting the true help that they need, either from their medical doctor or from a uh, mental health professional. The church, you know, the criteria you mentioned, the church says that signs of demonic possession 
and they're still mentioned in the new right of exorcism, the ability to speak and understand languages otherwise unknown to the individual, exhibiting strength beyond the normal capacity of the individual. So think of human strength, having elevated perception, the person knows things they shouldn't otherwise know, and then an aversion to anything of a sacred nature, such as being blessed with holy water, being shown a crucifix or a Bible, or having a relic placed on their head, for example, while a prayer is being said. So the church does want to know beyond a doubt. You know, some priests might, rather than using the formal ritual, if they're still trying to make a diagnostic, there are other prayers that can be used, such as the exorcism prayers of Leo the Those are prayers that can be used as exploratory, if you will, to yeah. try to determine whether or not this is truly demonic. Kind of do a, a minor exorcism, I guess, first to, to see. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Father, you said about 1,800 people a year contact you. Um, would you say that, you know, out of the cases that you've examined personally, that it's very common that people are demonically possessed? And here we're talking full possession. Um, is this common or is this pretty rare in the United States, in your experience? I think it's pretty rare. But I do think there's a large number of people who believe that they're possessed. What's interesting about most of the callers is they're not asking me to help determine what's going on in their life. They've already come to the conclusion that they are possessed. I've actually had people that gotten very angry with me because, again, I have to be very methodical in my approach and follow the direction of my archbishop. I can't just do what I want because right. I work under his authority. And if it truly is the demonic, demons recognize the authority of the church. And if I try to go rogue and do my own thing, that's not going to be helpful at all because then demons are not under the, the power and the authority of Christ mm. given to the church. Yeah, you, you're, you're raising a very interesting area, and that is that the, the priest has to be under the bishop. He does not have the faculties. The demons immediately recognize that and will call the priest on it. Um, what would you say in to, for example, Protestants, when they go to perform exorcisms, it seems that maybe in a particular case they've been delivered. How do we account for that since they, they don't have faculties? What, what has been your experience there? Well, I think it's always important to remember that Jesus is the main actor in an exorcism, and he could choose to work through whoever he wishes. Now, for the Catholic Church, exorcism is a liturgical rite, and since it's a liturgical rite for the Catholic Church, there is a prescribed way for it to be performed. But the Catholic Church doesn't claim to have a monopoly on the practice of exorcism. Again, because Jesus is the main actor. He's not a bystander. There's even been examples of you know, some of the holy men and women, the saints of the church, who actually performed exorcisms just by their own sanctity, their holiness, their piety, their virtue. Think of St. Catherine at Siena. Just her presence would cause demons to flee. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I've even heard of some uh, Eastern Orthodox monks who, who would perform exorcisms and they, they weren't ordained or anything. Um, I think for me, the key ingredient is holiness. Mm -hmm. That the demon is being encountered with the holiness of God through the minister. Mm -hmm. And that's always important because... 
always tell people I don't have any special powers or abilities. If we're relying on me, we're all in trouble. But if we're relying on Christ and how he's working through the church, that's the solid ground that we need to be on. But there are people today of those 1,800 callers, there are some who view the, uh, the Catholic priest as a type of magician. Mm. A lot of these people no longer have any type of faith background or any type of church connection. They believe they're dealing with the demonic, and they see the Catholic priest as a quick fix for their problem. Father, would you say that, you know, you're, you're talking here about holiness. So if, if things weren't right a, as a priest um, and you go to perform an exorcism, does that mean you're at risk? Even though you're a priest, you're at risk when you go to, to perform this exorcism. Or, do, or does Jesus still protect the priest? How, how does that work? Well, the, the priest would be making himself vulnerable to the demonic if I'm not in the state of grace. The church is very clear, even in the new rite, that I need to prepare myself ahead of time. You know, I need to go to confession. I need to celebrate Mass, spend time in prayer. So, you know, when the sacraments of the church are celebrated, the personal character of the church doesn't matter because, you know, if the priest is, you know, involved in impropriety, he performs a wedding, the people are still married. If he does a baptism, they're still baptized. If you know he celebrates mass, it's still the bread and wine still become the body and blood of Christ. But for exorcism, the character of the priest does matter. Wow, Father, I imagine that's a pretty um, heavy matter to consider. You know, every every time you would go to perform an exorcism, I mean, it's it's bad enough having to consider, hey, am I you know following God and am I in a state of grace? That that's already difficult enough. I'm, then having to consider, am I prepared to go for this exorcism uh, as far as my personal sanctity? How, how do you deal with that? It's difficult. I think of that line in scripture where, uh, you know, the, in the, on the, at the judgment saying, Lord, you know, we even cast out demons in your, in your name. Yeah. And Jesus responds, I don't even know who you are. Right. So it's, uh, it is a daunting responsibility and one that can't be taken too lightly because, again, the devil knows who's trying to defeat him. And he will do everything in his power to try to destroy the exorcist. Father, I've seen some very troubling cases. Uh, you know, I'm not going to mention the names or the diocese or anything like that. But I've seen cases where, for example, a diocese will have someone like a medium or a psychic involved in the process and um, allegedly the person who is possessed the uh, demon um, is expelled. Um, how do we account for cases where it seems that um, good is cooperating with evil to cast out evil, <laughs> if that makes sense? This comes up a lot. I see this a lot. Um, how can we uh, account for this? I mean, because especially we look at the scriptures, it talks about how, you know, uh, Satan isn't going to cast out Satan, which they accuse Jesus of doing. And, but it seems like sometimes that happens. So what, what do we make of that? I would agree with the statement that evil cannot be used in any form to cast out evil. And even if it seems that there is a temporary good effect at the beginning, like if somebody uses a median or a psychic 
eventually, in my opinion, the bottom is going to fall out of that. The devil may permit it to seem as if something good has happened in order to draw even more people in. But the amount of damage that's going to be caused is even going to be greater. Because just, ultimately, yeah, oh, evil oh, I'm sorry, can't be used. I was going to say, evil can't be used to cast out evil. You know, I've seen cases where instead of calling a priest, somebody will call some, you know, medium over to their home and they'll, you know, uh, have sage and everything in the home and they will say certain uh, incantations and cast the demon out of the home and it seems like everything's okay and it's gone. But you're saying, no, that's a temporary fix in the end if it's not really Christ expelling uh, this demon um, through legitimate means, then it's just going to come back and probably be worse. Is that basically the case? Absolutely, because if it, there is a, the perception that there's a good effect by using evil, then people are going to be drawn to that. You know, a curiosity may lead to a reliance. So the next time the person has a problem, they're going to go see the psychic or median. You know, the church would say a psychic or a median has uh, either been duped by evil into thinking that the power is really them or they're working with the evil through them. They know it, but they like the attention or the notoriety. And even some of these people will deceive people that come to see them. They may even have a crucifix on the wall or a statue of the Blessed Mother or the Sacred Heart of Jesus. They may have things in their office to give a false sense of, you know, security to the people coming. Yeah, and there's a clear distinction that needs to be made from people that are true, truly in league with the the devil, if you will, and those are just charlatans. Those are just trying to put on a show and make a buck. But ultimately, evil is at the core of all of that. Father, well, so many people today don't believe that the devil is real. They don't believe demons are real. They think that when Scripture talks about this, this is just metaphorical it's just symbolic for some kind of uh, corporate evil but there's no actual personal devil and no actual real personal demons um why do you think that this is so common today even even among uh catholics um why do you think that this is so common i think it's because we don't want to believe it because if we truly believe in the devil then it it calls for us to be even more accountable for how we choose to live our lives. If we can discount the devil, then we can almost justify just about anything we want. You know, and there are people today that say there is no personified devil, but the church has always taught that throughout her history. There would be some people that would say that evil is nothing more than humanity's inhumane treatment of one another, that it's something of our own making. But again, it was uh, St. Paul the Sixth back in 1972 that stated very clearly in one of his Wednesday general audiences that the devil is personified. Evil is personified in what we call the devil. Mm. So he is real. There really are demons. Um, is Satan equally as powerful as God where you have this good force uh, that we call God and this equally a powerful force that we would call Satan that is equally as powerful, or is is there some other way that we should understand Satan? Yeah, God, God and the devil are not on the same playing field. The devil is still a creature, and God is the creator, 
the creator is greater than any of his creatures. Now, certainly Lucifer, who became Satan, became the devil, is powerful, but certainly not on par with God. You know, people always have that image of, you know, the, the good angel on one shoulder and the bad angel on the other, kind of help you do this, don't do that. But again, there's no comparison between God the creator and the devil who is still a creature. So Satan can actually do absolutely nothing unless God gives him the permission. Is that right? Yes. Everything he does, God permits. So even when a person is possessed, God is allowing this for some kind of reason. What, what do you think the reason might be in God allowing, for example, a, a young person to become possessed? Um, why, why might God allow that? I think God might allow that to help bring about greater faith. Because that's the key ingredient for all of us is to grow in, in faith in our commitment to God. And these examples of, you know, demonic activity, whether it be, you know, we mentioned possession. There are three other types of extraordinary demonic activity, which would be demonic infestation, the presence of evil in a location or with an object, demonic vexation, somebody's experiencing physical attacks, demonic uh, obsession with mental attacks, and then demonic possession. But again, God is permitting these things to happen. And I think the reason is to try to bring about the greater good and to call all of us into greater fidelity to him. You mentioned some categories there that I wanted to ask you about. Oppression, um, obsession, possession. Um, we, we sometimes even hear of other categories, partial possession, full possession, and perfect possession. Can you break those down for us? Yes. Yeah, so uh, partial possession may be where the devil is initially or some other demon is trying to cultivate a relationship with a person, attempting to possess them and trying to get the person to come in league with that. There can be a full possession whereby and the demon does take control of the person's body, treating that body as if it were its own, you know, using the person's mouth to speak, their feet to walk, their hands to give gestures. And it's always important for the exorcist to know the distinction between the person as an individual and the presence of the demon or demons that are now using this body as if it were its own. And then there could be something called perfect possession where a person realizes that they're possessed and they just surrender to that. They live in a harmonious relationship with the demon. And so oftentimes in those situations, there's no struggle or combat going on because the person has just given up and realized that the devil or the demon is always going to be with them. Father, I have a couple more questions, then I want to pass it over to my, my brothers here and let them pick your brain, and then maybe I'll ask some more later on. But um, what if a person is possessed and they don't want help, they, they don't want an exorcism, um, should Catholics still direct them to a priest, or is this something that they have to voluntarily want in order to be freed from? Yes. An exorcism cannot be performed on a person against their, their will. We all have free will. And certainly somebody that says they don't want the exorcism.
ties and they truly are possessed. We should continue to pray for these people that they have a change of heart and ask for the help of the church. Sometimes people believe that when somebody is possessed that somehow they're manifesting evil 24 seven. But again, just because somebody is possessed doesn't mean they're manifesting all the time. Something of the person always remains free. And that which remains free could ask for the help of the church. There so will, we like continue to pray that they have a change of heart. So again, their their will is still free in the end, right? Correct. It just seems inconceivable that anybody would ever voluntarily want to remain in such a state. I guess person's state of soul has to be just that that bad off. Have you ever encountered this before? Yeah, I was contacted by a, a family, non-Catholic, and uh, their father was dying, and he was in his 80s, and they were concerned because he had cultivated relationships with demons throughout his life. So he agreed to talk to me, but he told me that he had no desire to renounce these relationships, no desire to be baptized or to make a commitment to Christ. He told me that when he died, it was his desire to spend eternity with these demons that he had befriended in this life. Now, that sounds crazy to me. And But as I told the family, let's continue to pray for him. As long as he's still here, as long as he's still breathing, there is hope that maybe he will ask for help. Um, how can we avoid this? What are some of the things that we need to avoid so that we do not fall prey to some of these uh, demonic problems? I think the key ingredient is for, especially for us as Catholics, just to really live out our faith and to know our faith. I think there's a lot of people today, Catholics, that just don't know what the church believes and teaches. They may just be going through the motions of the faith. The people need to, you know, as Catholics, we go to Mass. Take that seriously. Live out the sacramental life of the church. You know, go to confession. You know, go to communion, be anointed, turn to the sacramental life of the church, spend time in prayer. You know, it's the very ordinary things of our faith life that will keep the devil at bay. People always think they have to do the extraordinary. You mentioned earlier, like burning sage, like that. You know, we don't need to do any of that. It's the very basics of our faith to keep the devil at bay. And I think the key ingredient is for... Catholics and people of faith, regardless, you know, you mentioned earlier, welcoming people of all faith backgrounds or no faith background, but just to take to the heart what it is that we truly believe and to live it out. Um, last question here. Should Catholics, or should, period, I mean anybody, um, avoid Ouija boards, seances, things like that? Can, can those possibly lead to demonic problems? Yeah, I would say that... Uh, one of the entry points for the demonic is uh, the occult. So everything that you mentioned there, Ouija boards and seances, all of that falls under that category. Those practices are condemned in the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. It even says that those who practice these things are disgusting to the Lord. So again, when we don't know our faith, when we don't know scripture, not knowing the Bible, then perhaps we think these things are fun and entertaining. But in reality, we're dabbling with evil, and we could open up ourselves to demonic, to demonic forces. 
There's so much more I want to ask you, but I want to give my brothers here a chance. Uh, William, let me pass it over to you. What kind of questions do you have for Father? Thank you very much for that, Eric. I greatly appreciate that, Father. Uh, you, you've been fantastic. I greatly appreciate your uh, your input, uh, everything you've been sharing with us thus far. Father, I do wonder, has, has the intercession of our mother played any key role in, in battling against the demonic that you're aware of? calling upon our, our, our mother as intercessor. Has that perhaps helped at all? Does that help at all when it comes to, to battling back um, the forces of darkness? Absolutely. The church recognizes that the Blessed Mother is a powerful ally for anyone who's up against the forces of evil. Even one of the uh, introductory rites to an exorcism is uh, the Litany of the Saints. We call upon the Blessed Mother. You know, it's the notion, you go to Genesis 3.15 about, you know, crushing, you know, Satan will strike at our hill, but she will crush his head. So again, the church recognizes. Even one of the exorcisms that I performed in the last 15 years, when during the exorcism, I, I told the demon to say, Hail Mary, full of grace, and then to depart immediately. So we think of the the words coming right out of chapter one of Luke's gospel. And then the demon looked at me and laughed and said, grace of fool, scrambled the words, but wouldn't even say the name of Mary. And uh, but then I commanded the demon to obey me in all things, although an unworthy minister of Christ, and then to say the words in the manner that I told it to say. And then the demon that had been speaking in a very authoritative way in a child's voice said, oh, Mary, full of grace, there was a shriek and then the demon was cast out. So again, the Blessed Mother is a powerful ally, you know, she's queen of heaven. It's one of the reasons why, you know, Satan it hates humanity so much because prior to the fall of the, the angels, Lucifer was closest to the throne of God. But now human flesh has been elevated above him and he could even foresee that before the fall, which is why then he rejected God. You were listening to the exorcist Father Vince Lampier, or Lampert, as some may say it, an interview with the gentleman on the ministry of exorcism podcast or radio show thank you for listening it's on youtube it's um it's an hour and 22 minutes we just heard the first 28 minutes <laughs>